another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream. Hi, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times and the things that we can do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate, it is almost always the case on my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. And folks, uh, you got me again in the morning as usual. I occasionally do an afternoon one, but this is a morning podcast. And uh, it's a gorgeous day, 44 degrees. And it is Groundhog Day. And the feedback already is the little rat up in Pennsylvania saw his shadow, so we're going to not have an early spring this year. Sure feels like an early spring down here in Texas once that ice storm got out of here uh, earlier last week. Anyway, it's been beautiful every day, and the overnight lows have been in the upper 30s to lower 40s. So maybe we have an early spring in Texas, but for the rest of the United States, it seems like you're going to have a long winter this year, which is something that uh, pretty much everybody uh, really thought this year, I guess, from the farmer's almanac down to just uh, talking to folks like at the local feed stores and whatever. We've expected a pretty tough winter this year. And uh, so far, it hasn't been as bad as some. So there's always some bright side of things. Today's show is going to be about uh, selecting a firearm for home defense. And... Uh, We'll get into that in just a second because there's a couple announcements I want to make. Uh, number one, we uh, did have two winners of the uh, the Tactical Sling contest on Friday. I'm going to actually announce them on uh, tomorrow's show because the second person, I didn't write your name down and I can't remember it. The first one, I'll just tell you who that guy is tomorrow. Some of you may already know, but it's a little bit of irony. So we had two winners. We will give away on Friday this week another two of those slings uh, from John Willis at, over at SOE Tactical year, so be sure to tune in on Friday for your opportunity to win again. Uh, The other thing I wanted to tell you is in Friday's show notes, I announced this in the show notes at thesurvivalpodcast.com, and I was sure, I would have sworn to God that I announced it on the air, but I must be losing my mind, or maybe it was being sick last week or something, but I apparently did not announce this on the air, but this is a big announcement. Uh, there's a gentleman that I know from online named David Crawford. Many of you probably know him as well. Uh, many of you may just simply know him by the handle he uses on many of the survival and preparedness forums out there, and that handle is Half Fast. It's the same gentleman that authored the uh, fan fiction novel. It's available in PDF download online in a variety of places called Lights Out. Lights Out is a, uh, a novel that kind of describes what society might be like in an instance where we lose the entire electrical grid in the United States uh, due to an EMP attack and how society might try to hold itself together initially, but things as time goes on might get worse and worse and how different troubles would rear their heads and the things that we would all have to deal with. Uh, I've read a lot of novels, the fan fiction novels, actual public published novels, uh, and I've read a lot of like survival manual type books, and, and, and of all of them, this was the one that I actually thought was the most grounded in reality, and yet the most creative in putting people through scenarios that are pretty likely to actually occur. 
And uh, because of that, I approached David and said, hey, would you be interested in me recording this book as an audio and then making it available either for download or purchase on CD uh, once it's completed? And he said they thought that would be a pretty cool idea. What I did last week was I put together, and keep in mind when you listen to it, this one, my voice was weak uh, from being sick, but a rough cut of the prologue in the first two chapters. And you can download those for free. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com. You'll see a link in today's show notes, and you can go download the first few episodes after you give us your name, email, and answer a few questions for us about what you would want in a final product of this novel. And uh, I want to tell you now, the final product will not be free. It'll be something we sell. I've not sold anything on this show up till now. Uh, David has made this book available in a PDF download, and it's kind of hard to read on the screen, I guess, for some people. And uh, printing it out, it's uh, 600 and some odd pages, but he's never charged anything for it. And we've decided that it's you know reasonable for us to charge a fair price for a good finished product. Um, just so you don't get too excited like about getting a hold of this thing in the next couple weeks, uh, the novel is over 600 pages. It's some so 100 million words long. David told me on Friday I just didn't even want the number to go in my head so I didn't get discouraged. But I'm estimating this is a 90 to 120-day project for me to get dictated, edited, compiled, and prepared. Uh, and that will be, we'll make the first, uh, you know, we're going to have it available by download no matter what. And it's going to be fairly large zip files. Uh, if we have enough interest in a CD, we'll do that. That'll take longer to get those into production as well. And just to give you a, kind of a feel for how big a project this is, this won't be like a two-CD set. Um, it's about 26 hours of audio is our estimation from the initial read. But uh, go have a listen, give us some information, give us some feedback, and uh, we'll see what we can do to get that project uh, completed. And I think it's a worthy project, and I think it's going to reach a lot of people that maybe uh, aren't ready to come on board with survival philosophy yet through a story and uh, maybe something that once it's available you want to share with friends and loved ones to get them more uh, informed about the risks and the potential threats that are out there. So let's let's kind of get into today's subject and as I do that I want to tell you as much what today's show is going to be about I want to tell you what it's not about so that we don't have people that feel that I'm you know kind of missing the boat or I'm off the mark here there are two ways that one might look at tactical weaponry for the home and one of them is what if I'm being invaded during a riot what if uh, what if the roving hordes which I'm not a big fan of the theory of but if what if that really happens uh, what if there's a hurricane and uh, wipes my house out and I have to go up on the roof and defend my house from uh, from looters or, or whatever scenario like that uh, or even some type of force on force engagement that I have to defend against that is truly tactical defense Defensive weaponry, and that is where we're going. You know, we would talk about things like AR-15s and uh, various other assault rifles. Though I ha- hate using that term uh, because of the way the media and the government have have bashed it, but. Those are the main battle rifle scenarios, okay? And that's not what today's show is about. Nothing wrong with that type of weaponry. I own some. I think it makes a lot of sense. But what I'm talking about today is the far more likely could happen tomorrow scenario of someone simply breaking into your home. 
So that's the type of defensive weaponry that I'm talking about. Not that there can't be any overlap there, but there are ideal tools for every situation. And most people, even that are big fans of the, the Black Rifle, would tell you that a, uh, a kitted up AR-15 may not be the best weapon uh, in the home uh, during the dark when somebody's simply breaking in your house trying to steal uh, your jewelry and maybe your TV set. That there may be better weapons in that scenario in the dark where you already have the advantage because you can be stationary and wait for the target to make the mistake of coming to you. All right? And it may really not be the case if you're out of town and your wife who has not been fully trained how to use a weapon like that in the dark uh, may be a lot easier to teach her how to use something like a revolver uh, or a, uh, a short length shotgun or something similar like the type of weapons we're going to talk about today. So that's the, the, the where, where I'm coming from with this. Additionally, I have to say this whenever I talk about firearms. I think that... Um, Anybody in the United States of America over the age of 18 uh, that has never violated the law has a constitutional right to keep and bear arms. Should be able to buy just about any firearm that they want that is readily available today in modern society. And I don't think you should have to go through any hoops to be able to go out and exercise your right to buy that gun. That's the government side. From my side, you don't need to go buy that gun until you've had some basic safety training. And if you have to pay for it, you have to pay for it. Go find someone to provide you safety training. Until you've had a complete breakdown and understanding of how to care for, maintain, use, employ, and, and uh, do everything you'll ever need to do on the make and model of the gun that you're buying. I'm talking mainly for, um, for let's say, firearms virgins right now. You buy your first gun, you need to have every wor- you know, a working knowledge of every aspect of that gun before you take it into your home, load it up with ammunition, and, and decide that you're going to use it to defend yourself. Because if you don't, you have a high probability of doing one of two things, both are horrific, wounding and or killing yourself, or wounding and or killing a friend or family member. And every time some idiot does that, it gives the the big idiots up on Capitol Hill more ammunition to come take our rights away. So make sure that you're trained. And once you get that basic safety training, really consider taking some kind of the next level training. Tactical shooting training, especially some training that's that's designed mainly for what do I do if in the middle of the night the door gets jimmied open and somebody's coming into my house, all right? Because that's what we're talking about today. I'm not so much talking about concealed carry. What if you're in the middle of a restaurant and somebody takes a gun out and starts shooting at people? How do you respond? That's important, too. But I only do one subject at a time. Today, your house, your home, somebody breaks in. You, what, what kind of a defensive weapon makes the most sense? And to me, that really falls into, and you're open to your own, you, know, you have your own opinion here, but my view is you're looking at either a handgun or a shotgun, and those are your two best weapons for that scenario. 
Carbines I'm not a big fan of for this type of home defense. Generally speaking, they're of a caliber or round that has the ability, to, a high degree of ability to penetrate walls. And you would prefer as minimal wall penetration as possible in an in-home shooting because you don't want a round to go through the bad guy, through the wall, and into your child sleeping in the other room, or out your window, through the wall of the adjacent home, and into the bedroom of your neighbor. Uh, if you live in an apartment, through your wall and into your neighbor's apartment. So there is never a way to absolutely ensure you'll never have over-penetration, but what you can do is stack the deck in your favor, and, and getting off of carbines is maybe one way to begin heading in that direction. So to me, again, the handgun and the shotgun are your two best weapons for that. In a home, in the dark, trying to simply put yourself into a position where you have a maximum level of defense capability and allowing the threat to come to you if that is a possibility. And it may be a case where you have to go to the threat at certain points. For instance, you have a split floor plan and you have children in rooms across the house from you. Well, sitting in your closet and waiting for the bad guy to come into your room and make a mistake doesn't look so appealing anymore. When you're in a home and you're trying to move through a home in the dark, even the home that you know well, uh, it's usually easier to move with a pistol or a handgun than it is with a long gun, even if it's a shotgun. All right, because a long gun has all the disadvantages of a long gun inside a dwelling, uh, regardless of what it's firing. So I generally steer, steer people to the first thing to buy is a handgun. There's more at work here, folks. So if you are a big fan of the shotgun for home defense, don't worry, I'm going to get there. But I'm going to tell you why I'm talking about a new person here. I don't own any guns, or I don't really own any guns that make a lot of sense for home defense. I've got a deer rifle, and I've got an 870 with a 28-inch barrel. Uh, for shooting birds, and uh, I've got a Marlin 22 rifle, and, you know, that's a pretty good setup, but, you know, okay, what's usually missing from that arsenal is a handgun, all right? The next thing is, so we're not talking about uh, semi-auto rifles today, AR-15s, uh, Mini-30s, Mini-14s, that type of thing, FNs, since we're talking about the more um, home defense and uh, more uh, commonplace firearms that are, are less in the sights now of Congress, if the assault weapons ban passes, the next thing these jackasses are going to do is they're going to go after handguns. Mark my words. A handgun ban is the next thing in the hopper for these people if they succeed with an assault weapons ban. It's been a goal for a very very long time. Now, the Heller versus D.C. decision makes that an uphill battle, but if it comes from Congress, it has a lot more power than coming from uh, you know, a local government for the District of Columbia or Chicago, and there's certain things that they can do to kind of funnel it as, uh, as law under their authority. And an instant ban of handguns would be very difficult, but starting to restrict the ability to buy them, requiring new things. So if you're going to make another investment right now if it's not an assault weapon again I hate using that term but we all know what I'm talking about when I say that it should be a handgun and it should be a handgun because that's buying insurance so that's part of the reason for that and then there is simply the aspect of having to move through the home having to quickly procure a weapon from maybe a nightstand or under a mattress or wherever it is that you keep your sidearm uh, in your home alright
The next thing is, if you train a person to shoot a handgun in home defensive situations at those ranges, which, you know, most houses, it's very difficult to get into any point in a home where you're going to have a clear line of sight shot for 20 yards. So we're way under that. And the average uh, distance, according to the FBI, is like 12 feet. All right, so you train you not just yourself, but the members of the household who are old enough to be trusted with a firearm how to use a handgun in the home, taking them now to a shotgun, and then maybe taking them out into uh, a larger real-world scenario with carbines and rifles is a much easier progression. Handguns are generally the more difficult weapon to learn to shoot well. They're the weapon that, and this is part of why I do hesitate a little bit to train new shooters with them, they have the most propensity for abuse and safety violations. When you're sitting with a 12-year-old kid with a 22 rifle on the range, and he starts to turn around and bring that muzzle the wrong direction, very easy to see, very easy to correct. A handgun, not so much. But if you have people that are old enough to be responsible, and they learn to be safe with a handgun, then safety will be inherent across the board with all other firearms. So there's a lot of things just beyond the aspect aspects of how useful they are in the home. However, the next thing is, when you look at good calibers for home defense situations, uh, you're, you're probably looking at 9mm, 40 Smith & Wesson, 45 Auto. Those are the big three. If you're looking into revolvers, you're probably looking at 38 Special slash 357 Magnum, uh, 44, uh, both Special and Magnum. 44 Magnum, not a big fan of for home defense. I uh, just think it's too too heavy of a round. 44 Special, on the other hand, is a very, very good round. Uh, 41 Magnum, again, start to move into over-penetration, but a lot of that can be handled with the bullets that are in the cartridges that you're firing. There are, for all of those rounds, and then all of the kind of the other little others, you know, 32 H&R Magnum and, and all these other different pistol caliber rounds out there, there are generally bullets that are designed to be used for home defense. Uh, there's a glazer safety slug, which is basically a bunch of shotgun pellets wrapped up inside of a loosely contained slug that's designed to dump into the chest, and those are a, uh, a very good round. Most hollow points uh, at lower or moderate velocities have a tendency to dump most of their energy and, and seldom exit a victim, dump the energy into the victim, drop the victim, and reduce over-penetration. Um, if you hit drywall with them and you miss your target, they're still going to penetrate. But again, there's no way to make sure that we never have over-penetration. All we're trying to do is minimize it. So from the aspect of penetration, compared to something like a 223 in an AR or a um, uh, you know a 7.62 round out of a uh, an AK-47 type weapon or any other a Mini-30 uh, or any of these other types of carbines, you end up with a lot less potential for over-penetration. I know there's some carbines that fire 9mm. I know there's some carbines that uh, fire, let's say, 38 Special. And those are not bad weapons. Just not my first choice. Again, a handgun in a home defense situation has a lot of advantages. It's very easy to conceal. I want you to think about this. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. And you hear somebody break a window on the back side of your house. They reach through and they undo the lock on the inside. You know they've gained entry to the home. Say you have a two-story home. You take your wife. You move her. 
into the kids' bedroom. You pull the kids all into one room. So now you've got everybody in one position, and you're waiting. You dial 911. You hope the cops come before you need it. But you realize now there's two people in the home. In that scenario, it might be better to have a little bit more firepower than a handgun. All right? Especially if you think those people actually mean harm to you and yours. They're not just there to steal. Shotgun, great equalizer in that scenario. And in many other scenarios. So that's the other weapon that I highly recommend. Now the thing about shotguns is there's a lot of these tactical, slicked up, you know, shotguns that look like they're designed for a SWAT team or to use in battle. Nothing wrong with those. And if that's what you want, Fine. I'm not going to go down the road I did before where I had some people really upset with me because I said I would prefer a sporting shotgun. Well, I would, pref- I would actually personally prefer a sporting shotgun with a short barrel. Alright? The reason for that simply is if I end up laying a couple guys out because they broke into my home and some overzealous district attorney tries to say it's not a good shoot, he's got a sporting shotgun to hold up in front of a jury instead of the slicked-up black tactical thing that makes it look like I spent my entire life reading Soldier of Fortune magazine and never underestimate the creative power of a DA. But if you want to use that type of weapon, there's nothing wrong with it. And they're very, very effective. The point is, whatever rounds you put in there, whether it's a, a Woodstock Remington 870 or a, a, a satin and black Mossberg, if you put in a two and three quarter inch magnum load number four buckshot in either one of those those guns, you basically have the same weapon from a standpoint of terminal performance. In other words, the rounds are going to impact and do the exact same amount of damage. Putting uh, extended slide or extended magazine or making the gun black or putting a Z-Tel stock on these guns, in spite of what the clowns in Congress seem to think about this assault weapons crap, doesn't make a weapon more powerful. It doesn't make it more devastating. It makes it more functional in certain ways and in certain aspects. Remember, we're talking about defending your home from a common criminal here, not end-of-the-world-as-we-know-it scenarios. We'll talk about that. I think I'm going to talk about that next week. And we're going to talk more about the tactical carbines and stuff. So those are kind of your two weapons. Now, as you look at that, what type of weapon, from a, uh, a handgun standpoint, should you really be looking at? I'm a big fan especially for women, of double-action-only snub-nose revolvers. 38 Special, 357 Magnum, that that genre right there. Hammerless, so that if they're uh, in a coat pocket or something like that, because I want to get a little bit of versatility into this, uh, you might eventually use this weapon as a concealed carry weapon. Well, uh, if you have that in a jacket pocket, you don't worry about the hammer snagging. Why am I a big fan of these snub-nose revolvers? Because if you're going to put this into the hands of a shooter, or you are a new shooter, and you're not really sure, can I, can I pull the trigger if I have to? And a lot of people that are like, yeah, I'll shoot a guy that breaks in my house. You, you don't know until it comes. And sometimes it's harder to, to shoot somebody than you think it's going to be, even when your life's at risk. If somebody tries to disarm a person holding a two-inch revolver snub-nose pistol, as long as that person eventually decides they're pulling the trigger, they're probably not taking the gun away. At the best-case scenario, they're losing fingertips. 
It is the hardest weapon to get out of a hand. It is highly concealable. When you talk about a 38 Special, we've kind of like poo-pooed that round over time. But 38 Special is a big slug into the chest of a, of a man-sized target um, in home defensive situations. So it is a great choice. So kind of the snub those revolver is really my first choice for kind of the scenario where we're going to have one gun and mom might have to use it. And mom's not a gun person. And getting mom to the range is hard. All right, that type of scenario. I actually, though, highly prefer for a more tactical defensive weapon, semi-auto pistols, anything that you want in those realms. I can't get into, well, a SIG's better than this, and then a Glock's better than a SIG, and then, well, 1911, and, you know, I mean, it's up to you. But in any of these calibers, any of the good, reliable um, semi-auto pistols, have a backup magazine for it just in case you need it. You can't go wrong with a Glock. I'm not a big Glock fan. There's a lot of Glock, Glock fans out there for good reason. It's a, it's a great weapon. There's a reason so many law enforcement officers use it. I'm not a huge fan personally. I just don't like them. All right, and it's not like I think there's anything wrong with them. I just, you know how like you know, so one guy drives a Camaro and the other guy drives a Firebird, and they're basically the same car. But the guy with the Firebird says I just don't like Camaros. That's how I feel about Glocks. They're blocky, and and I'm a huge fan of the 1911. But in let's you know, let's be real. We're not talking about becoming a Navy SEAL here. We're talking about one or two dope addicts breaking into your home. That type of scenario. They're all good. All right. I mean, there's not a lot of really poorly made firearms out there anymore. If you make a bad gun, people don't buy it. It gets a bad reputation, and it gets bashed into oblivion in the forums. So take any model you're considering, run an internet search on it, see that you know, find out what people that actually not people that are fans of some competing weapon and have never touched one, people that have actually purchased one, owned one, taken it to the range, put a few hundred rounds through it. What do they think of it? And any of the weapons that you do that with and you find that most people that own them like them are probably reasonably acceptable for home defense. From a shotgun standpoint, um, semi-auto has a lot of advantages. It really does for rate of fire if you do end up with multiple targets to deal with. Um, I'm still a big fan of the pump gun, though. And this is one of these things where maybe I should move into the semi-auto realm of things. But if you look at most of the tactical applications where people use shotguns, they actually use a pump gun. And uh, I'm just kind of married to it because I enjoy it. I think it's uh, I think there's a lot going for the pump gun. And I also think if I end up with somebody in my home, and I'd prefer, I, I swear to God, I would prefer not to shoot somebody in that scenario, even if the guy really needs to get shot because he's been robbing other houses. I would prefer not to be the one to have to do it. And uh, I've secured my family, and I'm ready to deal with the situation now. If you take a pump shotgun, drop a shell into it, or have shells in the magazine and ratchet one in, there is not a, I don't think there's a human being on planet Earth that in a dark house, when they heard that, that sound, wouldn't know exactly what it was. And it is a very, very intimidating sound in a dark home at night. Alright? That's part of why I'm a big fan of it, because I believe that your weapon should be deployed as a last resort, not a first response. 
right? And that's how the law reads as well. So he breaks in your home, you can shoot him, but you should only shoot him if you have to, if your life is at risk, if there's no other way around it. Uh, hold on, folks, I got a damn, wait, dropped a extension ladder on the highway. That could be a really bad thing. I'm going to pause and I'm going to dial 911 and report that, and I'll be back with you. Okay, I'm back, folks. That's uh, right near the entrance to LBJ off of I-35 this morning. Um, a like a 16-foot extension ladder uh, that had been run over by a truck apparently and had the uh, points sticking up high enough to probably get the grill, maybe the window windshield of some cars and uh, just called in and reported that they didn't seem like they thought it was an emergency, but I've done my duty now. Um, so these are just things to think about with a home defensive weapon. Uh, again, the shotgun and the, and the handgun are probably your two best bets, and I say eventually own both of them. And again, nothing against the uh, the tactical rifles or anything like that. They're just for a different purpose. Uh, they're, they're you know, if, if somebody broke in your house at night, you're probably better off with a 1911 than an AR-15. What I want to really kind of sum up, though, and, and explain to you as as we close out today's show the, about more than than just firearms is preventing people from getting into your home in the first place. Uh, one of the biggest things that you can do is avoid doors that have, you know, all the pretty windows in them. Uh, I know they look good. I know they're nice. But you definitely don't want one for a front door. And really think hard about them on a back door because the problem with them is you only have to break out one little piece of glass and you can stick your hand through and you can unlock the door from the inside. If you're going to do that, it probably makes sense then to put a chain lock up on the upper part of the door. And there's also a device that will go into the hinge of the door. You remove the pin from the middle hinge and it's just a little piece of metal that goes in there and you replace the pin and you can kind of maneuver it up and over and it will basically lock the door at the hinge. This would be very difficult to unlock from the outside unless you knew exactly where it was and knew exactly how these little things work. By that time you've already broken a a window, unhitched the door, tried to open the door, now you had to break a second window so the odds of notifying you in your home and waking you up at night that somebody's trying to get in have just gone up a great deal. Alarms are a good deal. I think you should really consider an alarm for your home. Uh, Not just a monitored alarm either. You probably want some type of audible alarm system that if somebody breaks a window, opens a door once it's set, uh, that it's going to alert you. And it wants you want it loud enough to alert them. That'll generally send people the other direction. All right, you won't have to worry about pulling your firearm. This is the big one. This is something I learned about by listening to professional burglars being interviewed on a talk show about five years ago. And the thought had never crossed my mind. And they brought in, these guys were pros. These were guys that, you know, maybe made a living for ten years before they finally got caught. And uh, they lived very good lives. I mean, these guys, if you saw them driving around, they were driving sports cars, and uh, you'd think they had some kind of big six-figure income, you know, respectable job, uh, the lifestyles that they led. And what they said to a man was, I've never broke into a home in the dark in my life. One of them, who was known as one of the best ever, one of the best burglars ever, said he never pried open a door, jimmied a lock, picked a lock, or broke a window. Ever. Ever in his life. These folks broke into homes in the middle of the day at daylight hours. 
I'm going to tell you exactly how they did it. So you'll take seriously the simple step of keeping your freaking doors locked, even when you're home, and even when the lights are on, both inside and outside. This was something, I'm like, we're home, leave the door unlocked. You know? What what are you locking the door for? It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm watching TV, the door's there, I'm here, why is the door locked? Well, this is what they would do. They'd case the place. They would wait till a time when maybe one or two at the most people were home. Hopefully nobody was, just one person was home. And they would wait for the door to be left unlocked. And they would simply walk up to the door like they're a salesman or something, and they're going to knock on the door or what have you. And they would just try the door a little, okay, it's unlocked. Great. I'm not going to go in just yet. They look in the window. They start to figure out, where can I observe what's going on in the home? And they wait for the people or person in the homes to move somewhere they can't be seen. They open the door quietly, they slip in. They go directly to the master bedroom. Alright? Now here's here's the part that really drives home the effectiveness of what they're doing. The reason they go there, that's where the jewelry is. If there's cash, that's where the cash is. There's generally, you know, reasonable electronics. Now, obviously, if you're doing this in the middle of the day, you're not trying to go out the door with a giant sack of loot. You want small, valuable, easily pawned, or cash, right? So what they do, they go in the the master bedroom. What do you think they do the minute they go in there? They lock the door and they close it quietly, all right? Then they start going through, and these guys were pros. They knew exactly where most people keep most things. So they have certain drawers. That's where this is going to be. Always, They always look under the mattress, folks. Don't think that's a good place to hide stuff. Always look under the mattress, nightstands, etc. Look for the jewelry box. Look for the cash. Why do they lock the door? What happens? Mom or dad goes to the bedroom. Honey, you locked the door. Honey, ding, 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 and they're knocking on it. So now he knows my time to get out of here and go out a window is limited, right? Then, you know, it's the wife, and Dad comes upstairs and goes, Honey, I'm not in there. I didn't lock the door. Has any Is, is anybody dialing 911 yet? No. You know what they're thinking? One of us must have bumped the button or something. And, and they're arguing now. And the guy said I, he heard multiple. Well, he's getting the last of the stuff he can grab before he gets out of there. Arguing over who did it. He can hear them. So if they have a certain way that they can unlock it, like uh, we used to, when they got locked, we used to do it with a, you get a coat hanger, straighten it out. Some of the, the in, inside locks that are for bedrooms and all, you just kind of push a button in the inside and turn. So he knows if they're doing that. Right. Sometimes he said they would argue for 15 minutes while he cleaned everything out, opens the window and either goes down, or, you know, a rope out the window, or if it's a one-story house, straight out onto the ground and takes off and he's gone. Never, ever trash the place, is what these guys said. You don't go in there and trash the place. Because what happens is mom and dad finally get the door open. They walk in. Everything looks normal. Right? Unless she's going to the jewelry box to get ready to go out that night, which probably isn't happening at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which was the main time these guys hit. She probably doesn't even know. She goes in, she gets some something to clean with, or she changes her clothes, or whatever it was going to be that they were going there for in the first place. Sometimes they don't know that they've been robbed for three or four days before they look for something specific, and it's not there. 
that's how the most successful robbers break into homes. What they said is the guy that breaks into your house at 2 o'clock in the morning, he's dangerous because he's an amateur. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's probably trying to get some money for a, for a dope fix. Professional burglars, they don't do that. If they break in your house at night, they know you don't have an alarm and they know you're not home. Or they don't do it. Because that's when you get killed by a homeowner with a gun. And I'm telling you, if you don't agree with me, I, I don't know what to tell you because this is from the people who live the life. This is from the people who did it. And they did it all the time and they did it every day. Okay? So... That's their words, and that's what they're saying, that they were afraid to go at night, that's when you get killed. You do it in the middle of the day, you look for a person that makes the mistake of leaving their door unlocked, you never trash the house, you slip in, you grab what's valuable, and you slip out, and they don't know what happened for days or even weeks later. Think about that and the way that you run and manage your home. Protect your valuables, right? Because you don't want that guy getting in there in the first place. Because even though he's a pro, and these guys, trust me, guys, these guys all presented themselves as I would have never hurt anybody. I would have, I would have never hurt anybody. Yeah, but they never got caught by the homeowner. Not one of these guys was ever actually caught by the homeowner. And anybody that's willing to break into your home, in my opinion, is a threat to your safety. All right. Last note on. Having you know a defensive weapon for the home. I know people. Well, well, do you keep a gun in the house? Oh yeah. Okay, great. Where do you keep it? Well, I keep it in my nightstand. I keep it under my mattress. First of all, I've already told you that maybe you need to think about a different place to keep your weapon than those two places. So when somebody breaks in, that's the first place they go. Now, under the mattress while you're sleeping at night and you're on top of it, I I get that. That makes a lot of sense. I hear something, I roll over, I know exactly where to put my hand, the gun is there. You ain't getting in and pulling it out from underneath me while I'm asleep. Alright? It ain't going to happen. So, I understand that, but during the day. But, here's my point. Okay, you're at home, and somebody tries to get into your home, and you're going to go get the gun. The gun is three rooms away. Right? You see this in TV shows and movies. Honey, go get the gun! Right? And they're going to go get the gun. You might want to start thinking about it, even if you're not a concealed carry holder. Even if you don't carry day-to-day. And I really recommend, if your state makes allowances for it, you take the training, you get the certification, and you consider it. But even if you're not going to, you may want to think about carrying in the home. All right? At least the adults carrying in the home. So that if something does go down, nobody has to go get the gun. All right, now exactly how and where and how often and what time of day and and what have you, that's up to you. All I'm pointing out, especially for people like uh, women that live alone at home, that have taken a step of getting a gun, and then they keep the gun, like, in their bedroom somewhere, right? Because they're worried somebody's going to break in their house and do them harm. And this happens all the time. If you're in the living room and somebody breaks in and your gun's in your, your bedroom, you might as well not even have it. So just consider that and think about how you can adapt it to your life. And I know I didn't say today, a lot of people might have tuned in and thought Jack was going to say, here's five models of guns, buy one of these. Here's the ammunition you should use, make sure you're using this. You know, this is the rules. I can't do that on this show. 
Alright, this show is not my dictation to you about how to live. And it's the reason at the end of the show, I say help you figure out how to live a better life. All I can do is give you the information, give you the data, give you things to think about. You know your life better than I do. You know your propensities better than I do. You know your resources better than I do. You know how much money you have. I don't. You know what you already own. I don't. You know what you already know. I don't know what you already know. You know how much training you have. You know how willing you would be in a situation to act or not act. You have to make those judgments for yourself. My show today and on all other days is to help you think about different ways of doing things so you can decide for yourself what makes the best sense for you and you can get a starting point to go gather and continue to develop the information for yourself so you can live a better life and a more protected life for yours and those that you love and yourself. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.